Let's take our Bibles tonight, the Old Testament book of 2 Kings. The Old Testament book of 2 Kings, chapter 4. I want to reemphasize tonight about that, that visitor or that invitation list. You have unsaved family members. Please put their names on that list, and let's pray over that list over the next 30 days, beginning next Sunday, for their salvation. 2 Kings, chapter 4. Look around. Your neighbor doesn't have a Bible. I want everyone to have a copy of the Bible in their hands and to read the Bible tonight. Amen? And uh, why don't you especially make sure you have a King James Version of the Bible to make sure you have all the words there. And uh, that'll be important. 2 Kings 4, go to the end of the chapter, verse 42. 2 Kings 4, verse 42. Say amen if you're there. You listen tonight as I read the scriptures to you. And there came a man from Baal Shalisha. And he brought the man of God bread of the first fruits, 20 loaves of barley, and full ears of corn in the husk thereof. And he, you might want to write in your margin, that's Elisha now speaking. And he said, Give unto the people that they may eat. <clears throat> and his servitor, now you want to write this down in the margin. The servitor is Gehazi. And his servitor said, and this sounds like a staff meeting, what? <laughs> sounds like a deacon's meeting. What? What? Should I set this before a hundred men? He said again, give the people that they may eat. For thus saith the Lord, they shall eat and shall leave thereof. So he said it before them, and they did eat and left thereof according to the word of the Lord. Notice verse 42 and verse 43 because our, our, uh, our, our title of the sermon is in here. Verse 42, at the end, he said, give, underline that. And then notice the middle of verse 43. He said again, give. Give, he said again, give. Just give. Just give. And tonight, this is our final message for this four-part series. That doesn't mean I'm going to stop preaching on giving this year. You're thinking, oh, man. You're probably thinking, What? But tonight, we need to see a biblical principle, give, and he said again, give. A pastor went before his church, and he said, I've got some bad news, and some good news, and some bad news. Now, I want to tell you tonight, i got just nothing but good news, okay? But, but this is just a story. And he said, the bad news is, we need a new roof on the church auditorium, and it's going to cost us a lot of money. And the congregation went, he said, the good news is, we already have the money here, and faces lit up. He said, but the bad news is, the money's in your pocket. You need to give tonight. <laughs> Get ready. We might have another offering tonight. Amen? Yeah. Look tonight at the subject, give, and he said again, give. Father, thank you tonight for the songs we've sung. Thank you for the incredible good spirit in our church these last several weeks. 
I do pray for a lot of our members whose bodies have been touched with flus and sickness and ailment. God, we pray you touch your bodies with healing. We pray for recovery. Thank you for bringing some of our folks who've been traveling back here safely. And tonight, we, we meet here as a family, as a church family this evening. We come, Lord, that our souls will be fed. And God, with this one-hour change we've had in, in our time, perhaps some of our folks tonight are just a little bit tired, and their brains are a little bit foggy, and they just really want to just put their head on a pillow and go to sleep tonight. And I understand that. But Father, I need you to meet with us this evening, and I need you to break up the fallow ground of our hearts. I need you, Lord, to turn over the soil so that the soil of our hearts be ready to receive the engrafted word. We pray for good soil that bring forth 25, 1500 fold fruit. God, would you give understanding? Holy Spirit, you said you'd be our teacher, and you'd communicate to us the wonderful truths of the word of God. We pray that God, that the spiritual man would receive the spiritual things of God this evening and help us not just to be content with the milk of the word, but to be on the meat of the word that we may grow thereby. We pray, Father, that you give application truth, Lord, to this series. We pray that, God, because of our obedience to you and because of what we've heard, we'd be, we would obey you. And, but through this obedience that we'd see that, God, the work of God would flourish and go on. Please bless tonight in a marvelous way. Save souls tonight. Thank you for the man that got saved today after service. Thank you today for little Ashley Wong that got baptized today. That's such a precious thing. Thank you, God, for growing your church through families. And now do it again, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. We've been on this series entitled The Joy of Giving. And by the way, it is a joy to give. It's a joy to give to the Lord and to honor Christ in our giving. And tonight we're looking at an incident involving Elisha the prophet. This is one of the many miracles he performed. You might put a notation if you haven't done this before. In verses 42 to 44, this is the ninth of the miracles that Elisha performed. Now, this miracle is a good one because it teaches us a great lesson on how God blesses faith and obedience. It talks about when we put things into God's hand, it will go farther and do much more to bless than if we hold on to it or try to do it our way. Now, as we look at this subject tonight, I want to get right into our study because it's all about stewardship and giving. And uh, we just want to look at biblical stewardship one more time. We want to look at God's method for, uh, for church financial planning. This is, again, a principle behind God's, God's uh, principles about church financial planning. And it teaches us how God can stretch his dollars much farther than you and I can. So tonight I want you to see three things from this passage of Scripture, and then we'll let you go home. Number one, which you notice in verse 42, which you notice, number one, we see a fundamental statute. We see a fundamental statute. The statute is about the biblical doctrine of biblical stewardship. And once again, stewardship is the proper management and usage of what of the assets and resources God has placed in our hands. Those resources, though, those assets are more than to be managed. God wants his people to give him a good return on investment. God wants us to realize we're not to be hoarders, but we're to be givers. Stewardship requires that a steward be found faithful. We must understand tonight that our premise for all this 
As you go back to Matthew 25 and look at the parable of the talents and how, how the Lord Jesus Christ is pictured as, a, as an owner who entrusted talents into the hands of his servants and expected a good rate of return. One man was given a certain number of talents and he doubled it. Another man was given a lesser number of talents, but he doubled it. But the third steward, the third, the third servant, he took it and he buried it in the ground. And his opinion of his master was that he was a hard man, an austere man. And he said, you know what? I just thought that you just you didn't want me to put at, put it at risk, and you didn't want any of this to uh, you didn't you wanted to get it back the same way you gave it to me. And Jesus' description of that servant is that he was a wicked and lazy servant. That's what he said, that wicked and slothful servant. God doesn't want us to take the resources and the talents and the blessings and the assets He's given us, and He doesn't want us to bury it under the sand. He wants us to put it to good use. He wants a good return on investment. That means our life. That means our time. That that means our talent, that means our treasures, that means our opportunities. That means even with the Easter, the Easter outreach we have, we're to make the most of it. We're to treat it, and I like the spirit that Brother Danny began the service tonight. We need to treat it as if it's the very last opportunity we have to give and to serve our Lord Jesus Christ. So notice, if you would, this matter of stewardship. First of all, do you notice as we look at this, this, uh, this, um, this statute that we have, this fundamental statute. Go with me to Genesis 2.15. And notice first of all the beginning. Notice the beginning in stewardship. We want to look at the starting point in stewardship. Now we know that God is the creator of everything. The Bible says in Psalms 24 verse 1, The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. The silver and gold are mine. God owns everything. How many believe that tonight? That God owns everything. You cannot read Genesis chapter 1 without your heart overflowing that God made everything and he said it was good. And as he saw everything that was good, he made man. He made man out of the dust of the ground and he breathed life into him. By the way, aren't you glad you have breath in you tonight? Amen. He breathed life into you and I. And the Bible says he breathed life into Adam. He made him a living soul. We get to Genesis 2.15 and this is what the Bible says. We have the starting point or the beginning of stewardship. The Lord God took the man and he put him into the garden of Eden to dress it and to keep the beginning of stewardship is found in Genesis 2.15. God took Adam and he said, Adam, all this creation I've entrusted to you. I want you to keep it. I want you to dress it. I want you to, I want you to prune the trees. I want you to prune the vines. I want you to sow the seed. I want you to dress it. I want you to keep it. I want you to be a good steward over these resources. Now, now Adam, if you look at Adam, he was God's prized creation. At that moment of time, Adam was a perfect man. At that time, Adam was immortal and and he put Adam in charge of the entire planet Earth. And you know, when he said that, he said, Adam, you are in charge of taking care of this. Now, I believe Adam was invested with, by God with great intelligence and great ability, and he did manage all that. And the Bible describes in the following verses that he was busy doing all those things. And of course, God later on said, it's not good that he should be alone. He found that Adam needed to help me to help him with all this. And, but God, God's, the, the point I want to give you tonight in Genesis 2.15 is that the beginning of stewardship is found in Adam. Adam managing all of these things. He was to care, he was to cultivate, and he was to categorize everything in the beginning. That's the beginning of stewardship. Now, as God did that with Adam, I remind you that you and I tonight are also stewards. We see the beginning. But notice, secondly, we see the basis in, 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 in this matter of stewardship. Go with me to Proverbs chapter 3. And it might be in your notes, but I want you to go with me to Proverbs chapter 3. We see the beginning, but I want you to see the basis for stewardship. And this is good because in Proverbs chapter 3, we have some foundational teachings that, that Solomon wrote here that's very helpful. Let's go with me to Proverbs chapter 3. 
Proverbs chapter 3, we see several things. Notice in verses 1 to, 1 to 4, we see fatherly advice. Here we find a father giving advice to his son. Fatherly advice. He says things like this. My son, forget not my law, but let thine heart keep my commandments. You know, a fundamental rule about teaching is to tell your children, don't forget what I'm telling you. He said here to his son, forget not my law. Did you know when you're teaching your children, it's the law of the home? It's the law of the home. And by the way, the law of the home should not conflict with the laws of the word of God. Amen? You're to teach your child. Thus saith the Lord. You're to teach them to revere the word of God. I've known preachers in days gone by would take their Bibles. And even when the baby was just a little baby, just a little child, they'd say, they'd say son, or they'd say to their daughter, this is the word of God. And they would teach their children right at the beginning to say, this is the word of God. This is God's treasured word. Listen, we need to take some time during the week to make sure our children know that God God's word is to be revered. They are to know that God's word is holy. They're to know that it's not another book. It's the holy book. It's the holy scriptures. We have a more sure word from heaven. And he says here, my son, forget not my law, but let thy heart keep my commandment. For length of days and long life and peace shall they add unto thee. And he says, let not mercy and truth forsake thee. Bind them about thy neck. Write them upon the table and heart. You know what he's telling them there? He says, son, I want you to write God's word. I want you to memorize God's word. I want you to get it deep into your heart. Listen, we don't want our children just learning cute phrases. We want them to learn the Word of God. We see fatherly advice, but notice we get to verses three through eight, five through eight, and we see favorable advice. The favorable advice or faith advice, he says, son, I want you to get my advice, but I want you to understand something. I want you to learn to have faith. Listen, children can have faith. Teenagers can have faith. Single adults can have faith. College students can have faith. Uh, 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 unmarried adults can have faith. Married people can have faith. Retired people, listen, he's telling us tonight, we must have faith in God. Trust in the Lord with all thy heart. Listen, the moment you get saved, you are on a faith journey. We walk by faith and not by sight. The just shall live by faith. And this faith journey we on means that we need to learn how to trust God in every circumstance of life. Amen. Trust God for your first job. Trust God when you take your studies. Trust God in your relationships. Trust God for what steps you should take. Hey, step out of your comfort zone and go on a short-term mission trip with me. And trust God that he'll open doors and tell you what you're supposed to do. And he says we're to trust God with all your heart. Now, it's easy to trust God when you know how it's going to end. But we're not, we're not in tune with trusting God when we don't know how it's going to conclude. He says, trust in the Lord with all the heart. Let me tell you, that's why God puts a disease or sickness into our, our way, because he wants us to learn how to trust him. Because we don't know how it's going to turn out, and we don't know what the end result is going to be, and we're sitting on pins and needles wondering if we're going to die, and we're wondering what the, what the medicine is going to do with it. But the Bible says, trust the Lord with all thy heart, and lean not into thine understanding. Be careful when we have faith in God that we're always not coming up with a plan B. Sometimes we just have to realize it's only God's planet. There is no plan B. We see fatherly advice. We have faith advice. But we get to verses 9 and 10. Notice we see financial advice. You read Proverbs very carefully. There's a lot of financial advice in Proverbs, a lot of advice to help us to go along the way and to be good, good stewards and conservators of what God has given to us. And notice the basis for stewardship is found in verse 9. Honor the Lord. Now, that's what our life verse should be. Honor the Lord. Amen? We're to worship God. We're to glorify Him. We're to please Him. Honor the Lord. But with what? 
Now we know that God is a spirit and they that worship him must worship him in spirit and truth. Hey, it's easy to honor God when you don't have nothing to give. It's easy to come to church when there's no obligation. You know, it's easy to be a Christian if I don't have to make a commitment. It's easy to sit here tonight and say, you know what, I came to get preached to. Listen, don't just come to get preached to. Come expecting God to call upon you to do something for him, amen? And he says here, honor the Lord, but not just honor the Lord. Honor the Lord with your substance, with your resources, with your life, with your money, with your investments, with your resources. Honor the Lord with thy substance. And then he goes on, he says, now listen, I'm not going to stop at just what you have. He says, honor the Lord with your substance and with the first fruits of all thine increase. The idea of first fruits is our first crops, our first pickings, our first dollars of all financial gain. He says, of all of those things, honor the Lord with thy substance. First fruits are first dollars. First fruits is our next paycheck. First fruits is our investment gain. First fruits is an inheritance. First fruits is a gift. First fruits is whatever God has placed in your hand. He says, honor God, glorify the Lord, put him first. Hey, Matthew 6, 33, seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. Hey, that's Elijah telling the widow woman, go, go and do as thou said, but make me a cake first, and afterwards make for thyself. First fruits are what belongs to God. It's what we put in God's hands. Honor the Lord with thy substance and the first fruits of all thine increase. Look at Exodus 23 19. Exodus 23 19. This is what Moses told the children of Israel there at the base of Mount Sinai. The first of the first fruits of thy lamb shalt thou bring into the house of the Lord thy God. Thou shalt not see the king and his mother's, a kid in his mother's milk. Later on, he repeated this in Numbers 18. Numbers 18, there's some detailed instructions about tithing and giving and first fruits. And he said this in Numbers 18 and the best of the oil. And all the best of the wine, and of the wheat, and the first fruits of them which they shall offer to the Lord, them have I given thee. Hey, can I tell you something tonight? When we give to God, our first fruits are not supposed to be like a white elephant gift. Amen. Christmas time, white elephant gifts, people look at something they didn't want. Something that's been recycled for 10 Christmas opportunities. Amen. Amen. He says the best. Didn't God give you his best when he sent Jesus to die on the cross for your sins? Didn't God give you your best when he gave you your mate? You better say amen. Didn't God give you his best when he gave you your children? I see a lot of people scratching their heads on that one, amen. You got to think about that. Let me tell you something tonight you don't think about. God gave you his best when he gave you the local church. God gave you his best when he gave you the church members. Well, I don't like the church members. Change your attitude and realize this. God gave you his best when he gave you the church members that are part of this church. Yeah. But listen, we turn the tables. If God gave us his best, we better make sure we don't shortchange God and give him less than the best. And he said in Numbers 18, and all the best of the oil, and all the best of the wine, and of the wheat, and the first fruits of them, which they shall offer unto the Lord, them have I given thee. And whatsoever is first ripe in the land, which they shall bring unto the Lord, shall be thine. 
and everyone that is clean in thy house shall eat of it. Now, I said this in the previous message, but I repeat again. Those first fruits, that tithe, was specific. It was God's plan for taking care of his servants and taking care of the work of God. You know what? We need to take an ownership tonight realizing that what we're giving is to take care of God's work here. This is God's work. It's to go on. It's to serve the Lord. And we take it very seriously. I take it very seriously. That listen, we do something. We work hard at what we do. And we pray hard about what we're supposed to be doing. And we're making sure we make the main thing the main thing. And we're making sure we put forth, we put forth that effort to win souls and keep the gospel being preached. And we want to make sure that we keep the lights on and the bills paid. And we keep everything sharp and right for the glory of God. I'm just saying today, there's, there's this concept of the best we're supposed to be doing. We see here, we see the basis and the beginning. But you notice the breakdown First fruits will be given to the Lord. Honor the Lord with thy substance and the first fruits of all the increase. Now, I want you to notice the breakdown of this. Number one, there's the tithe. Malachi 3.10, we saw that last week. He said this, bring ye all the tithes into the storehouse that there be meat in my house and prove me now herewith, saith the Lord of hosts, if I will not open you the windows of heaven and pour you out a blessing that there shall not be enough to receive. And I preached a whole message on that last week, but here's what I want to say to you tonight. The tithe is the Lord's. The tithe is holy to God. In fact, if you want to be biblical, they gave three tithes. There was the tithe to take care of God's house and take care of God's servant, but they took an extra tithe for the poor of the land. Listen, they gave tithes to the Lord. Look at tonight, as we think about the tithe, the tithe means the, well, the first 10%. One-tenth of everything that comes into our hands automatically is God's. We don't own that. Do you get that tonight? We don't own that. That's God's already. He's just trying to see, are you honest? That's what we talked about, Ananias and Sapphira. Ananias and Sapphira, God, through, the, through this, this matter of grace giving, a higher principle was given to the church. Listen, we get so stuck on tithing, but listen, in Acts chapter 4, God gave us the principle, a higher principle of giving. We're to be motivated and moved by the grace of God. There is such a grace of giving. All that were possessors, that means owners, all that were possessors of land and houses, sold them and took the price thereof and laid it at the apostles' feet. Now, the apostles' feet meant this. They gave it to the authority of the local church. They didn't start designating, well, I have this pet project I want to go to. They didn't do that. They said, however God leads the leadership of the church, the pastor of the church designated, that's how we're supposed to give that money. Boy, there was such a spirit of giving. Then Barnabas came about. He's a Levite. Levites weren't supposed to have anything. Levites, God was to go take care of the Levites. And this Levite by the name of Barnabas, he's an outsider coming to the church in Jerusalem. You might say it was a church transfer. He comes in, he's a, he's a man of Cyprus, and, and the Bible says he had land, and I don't know where he got the land from, but Levites didn't have anything. God took care of the Levites. He said, listen, the Lord will be your inheritance, and he got some land, and he, he just got moved by this great grace of the Spirit of God moving on the local church, and he sold that land. He bought the price of laid the feet. Listen, that sent waves throughout the church. There was such a euphoria. It kind of kicked giving up, and people were excited. They saw what this Levite did, and there was a spirit of giving, but then this couple comes along by the name of Ananias, to Sapphira, and they're thinking, hey, you know, if that's the way we get our name out there, if that's how we become famous, if that's how we can let people know who we are, maybe we should give a gift like that so our name will be on the marquee too. Except one thing is, Barnabas didn't have his name on the marquee. God honored that man for what he did. He put his name in the word of God. 
Ananias and Sapphira came with a different, a different idea. And that's why Peter had to go to them and says, Ananias, why hast thou conceived this thing in thy heart? Why, why have you let Satan to fill your heart and to hold back that which you said you'd pledge? And listen, I don't know, I can't put my finger, but I have this belief that God gave Peter enough discernment to know what real estate values were like in Jerusalem. And he had enough to know after what, after what Barnabas gave and others gave, he saw what this man gave. And I'm not even sure if what that man Ananias put down was even equal to a tithe. But as the Bible says, he held back what he said he would give. How many of us have said we, get, we went along with the movement of that, of that the motion, the, the euphoria of the moment where there's just this spirit that we want to give and participate and we filled out a pledge card and we said we would tithe and we would said we'd be involved with faith promise and we said we'd be involved with the building offer, but we never participated that's just being like Ananias. And you know what he said? That was, not, that was lied to the Holy Spirit of God. Oh, this matter of tithing is realizing that one-tenth belongs to the Lord. Look at 1 Corinthians 16, would you please? And please, if you weren't here last Sunday morning, you need to get, get on the podcast and listen to that message because it helps us understand the premise of the local church, the premise of the local church, its meeting, the premise of the local church and its membership, and the premise of the local church and its money. And we said this last week in 1 Corinthians 16, Paul wrote this instruction to the church at Corinth. Now concerning the collection for the saints, now this was a special offering they were taking for the saints, but the principles are still the same for tithing and the offerings. He said, for the collection of the saints, as I have given order to the church of Galatia, so do you. Now you know what Paul's saying there? You're not the only church I've had to give instruction to. By the way, Heritage Baptist Church is not the only church that needs to be reminded about stewardship. All churches need to be doing that. And Paul got to the churches of Galatia, which needed a lot of instruction, which were going back. By the way, the, you know, the reservation everybody has in their heart about giving, and they've got all the financial pressures. It's just not here. Every church has that dynamic. And he says, now concerning the collection for the saints, as I've given order to the church of Galatia, so D, notice verse 2, upon the first day of the week. What day of the week is the first day of the week? Right. Why is it the first day of the week? Because it's the Lord's day. Actually, for Christians, we shouldn't even be calling it Sunday. We should be calling it the Lord's Day. Because on the Lord's Day, that's when Jesus rose again from the dead. It was on the Lord's Day. Listen, those women were coming to the tomb and their hearts were broken and they were carrying embalming spices thinking, who will roll away the sofas? They got them. The stone was rolled away and an angel was sitting on the tomb. If you're seeking Jesus, he's not here. He's risen from the dead. That's glory hallelujah time, amen? amen. We don't have a stone blocking the doors of the church, but thank God we can come to church and the doors are open to worship God, Amen. And Jesus came to those disciples, they met in church, and they did something unusual. They locked the doors of church. Now, I don't know about you, but I'm not for locking the doors of church. I want the door, do, doors of church open so people can come in. He came through those doors, and first thing he said to those startled disciples, peace be unto thee. And he started talking to them. There was preaching, and Jesus was there, and he commissioned them. He said, he is the Father who sent me, so send I you. And they had a fellowship time. It was a wonderful time. He gave us a present for a local church service. And he said there upon the first day of the week, look at verse 2, that every one of you, that's everybody in church, that every one of you, I think when he said every one of you, he wasn't just talking about the members of the church. He's talking about those who haven't joined yet, but they've decided, you know, this is where I'm going to worship God. I'm going to park myself here and worship God. Let every one of you, by the way, that means every one of you. 
Let every one of you lay aside as God is prospering. Let me tell you something tonight. Don't tell me God hasn't blessed you. Count your blessings. Name them one by one. Do you have good health? You're blessed. You have a family? You're blessed. You have a church? You're blessed. Are you saved? You're blessed. Going to heaven? You're blessed. Let every one of you lay by him in store. Now, don't, don't make excuses. Just because you're in children's church or nursery, you couldn't lay by him in store. You're under commandment of 1 Corinthians 16, 2. Regardless, if you're in a children's program, nursery, or somewhere else, usher parking lot, or in the back somewhere, that doesn't mean you are absolved from giving to the Lord's work. Just because you're at the pulpit, just because you might be the teacher for the day, you are not absolved from giving. Let every one of you, that means the pastor, that means the deacons, that means the staff, that means the church member, let every one of you lay by him in stories. God has prospered. Now, if you're not doing that, you're not following what God said. Yeah. Oh, boy, man, 15th comes and 30th comes and week comes, payday comes. Man, we expect our check to be there. It's like people say, well, I don't speak any English. I promise you, if they work for a U.S. corporation, U.S. company here, if there's something wrong with their paycheck, they know enough English to go to the personnel or the HR department to tell them there's something wrong with their paycheck. Amen? Yeah. Let every one of you lay by him in stores. God is proud. And, you know, we could say, well, that's why I don't want to commit to the church. Every one of you means every one of you. Let every one of you lay by him in store. Now, what store? You know the storehouse that, that Malachi talked about in Malachi chapter 3? That storehouse, as we saw in Nehemiah 13, was a large room inside the house of God. And by the way, Moses had a vision about it. Because if you go back to the verse we read about from Moses, Moses talked about, about, uh, about bringing it to the house of God. It was a large room where they bought the, their first fruits of their oil and their wheat, all the provisions that they would put in there to take care of God's people, God, I mean God's servants there. He said, let everyone of you lay by him in store, put it aside. As God is prospering, that there be no gatherings. When I came, he said, look at, he says, you, you, you haven't, you, you've gotten behind on this. Don't, don't be the place that you wait until I come here before you take up the offerings. He says, here, order in the church, every Lord's Day, take up an offering. Every Lord's Day, take up an offering. Every Lord's Day, take up an offering. Every time the church doors are open, take up an offering. Just make it, make it a goal that you're going to set aside as the Lord has prospered you. A missionary had been teaching tithing in his church on the mission field. It was a church way out in the middle of nowhere. And one morning, a young Christian came to the missionary's door with a fishing pole in one hand and a fish in the other hand. He came to the missionary and said, Sir, preacher, he told up the fish. He said, Here's my tithe. The preacher's looking at the fish pole. He's looking at the fish. He said, Well, where's all the other fish? And he said, Well, they're all back in the river there. I just thought I'd bring God his first. We see the tithe, but the breakdown includes the offerings. 2 Corinthians 9, verses 7 and 8 says, Every man according as he purposes in his heart. You need a purpose in your heart. That's what, that's what Barnabas did. He purposed in his heart. Every man according as he purposes in his heart, so let him give. Hey, you know what he's saying there? We need to be praying about our giving. Now, you don't need to pray about tithing. That's, that's already, we're supposed to do, you don't pray about tithing. You just do it. Amen? Better say Amen. We're going to take a lot of offerings so we get that right tonight. Amen? You don't pray about tithing. There's nothing to pray about. That's obedience. 
It's obedience. But offerings, you need to be praying about. He says, every man has purposes in his heart. And you don't pray about, Lord, what little I can give. Sometimes I hear people pray, well, Lord, help us to give a little bit. You don't give a little bit. You give your best. You give your all to Jesus. Amen? If you're a teacher in a class and people are saying, praying, well, Lord, help me give my little bit, that's a, that's a new believer, not really know how to pray. You need to teach them to say, listen, we need to honor the Lord with our substance. That means we pray that God will help us to give beyond our capability. And he says, every man according to his purpose in his heart, so let him give, not grudgingly. You know what grudging is? I take my calculator out. I'm starting to figure out, what well, if I give this much? Well, what if I don't? And, and then, I get, then the Satan fills our heart, okay? He says, well, I don't know if they're really going to manage the money right. I'm not going to do all these things. Do you know we have instances in the Bible where they didn't manage the money right? Did you know that? And the story about a king of Israel that, that he decided to go hire these mercenaries from a foreign nation. And the Bible says he spent, he spent the equivalent of several million dollars in our, in our evaluation to hire these mercenaries. God sent a prophet to that, 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 that king because he sent out all this money. And it's, in, it's, in, it's the equivalent of talents. And he says this, this, this prophet to him, he says, sir, listen, listen, now if you want to win, win this battle, he says, don't enlist him, you don't use him, I'm going to take care of him, I'm going to fight your battle for you. And what this man did, the king did, is he thought, well, you know, we fight it under conventional terms, I'll go hire these people to take care of this matter. So he spent all this money out, and so the king is very worried because he's thinking, we've sent, we spent out the equivalent of several million dollars, what do we do about the money we spent, how do we get our money back? You know what the prophet of God told him? He called him good financial money, he says, don't worry about the money you spent, he says, just obey me. He says, because whatever you spent, I'll give you more than what you spent in return. You just obey me. Did you know obedience is very expensive for us to learn? Every man according to his purpose in his heart, so let him give not grudgingly. Listen, we, if we're going to have vision for the church and we're going to go on, if there's something to be built, there's something to be fixed, something to be added, we're not to have a grudging spirit to say, praise God, let's go ahead and do it, Amen. Not grudgingly, nor of necessity, for God loveth what kind of giver? I like the Greek word for a hilarion. He's hilarious. Yes, sir, we're going to give. Praise God, it's going to be a great time, amen? And then he said, well, the people are linking verse 7. They're thinking, well, okay, if we're going to have that kind of spirit, what about me? What about me? Look what he says. He answers that in verse 8. And God is able. Aren't you glad God is able? Amen? Amen. God is able to make all grace. Now, what's God's grace? I spoke about that this morning. It's the outflow of God's love working your heart and mind to do what God loves to do, and that's to give. God is able to make all grace abound towards you. That ye always having all sufficiency in all things. Hey, that's a great thought. We have all sufficiency in all things, amen? May abound in every good work. He says, just give, just give. And he says, God will help you to abound in all of that. So we see tonight, we see the basis and we see the beginning, we see the breakdown. But you notice the blessing. Go back to uh, Proverbs chapter 3, notice verse 10. We're just in the beginning. We're talking about the fundamental statute so now we've stepped out. We're honoring the Lord with our substance, the first fruits of all our increase. Notice the blessing. You know what he's telling us in verse 10? God's going to take care of you because you took care of God. Honor the Lord with thy substance, with the first fruits of all thine increase. So shall thy barns be filled with plenty. Underline the word plenty. And thy presses shall burst out. 
with new wine. You know, he's saying two things. Number one, God will take care of you. You'll have what you need. There always will be enough. And then God, as he sees that you are honoring him this way, he'll bless you with more growth opportunities. I press you, he'll burst out with new wine. I read kind of a humorous story. A man died and went to heaven. God met him at the pearly gates, and God started to give him a tour around, around heaven. And he took, him down, he took him down the row where all the mansions where every believer would go, and he showed him mansion after mansion after mansion. And he got to the end of one street where the streets are paved with gold. Instead of a mansion, it was an old broken down hut. The man said, whose hut is that? He said, that's yours. He said, wait a minute, God. He says, he says what do you mean that's mine? So mansion after mansion after mansion after mansion. He said, what do you mean that broken down hut is mine? And God said this, I did the best with the money that you sent me. <laughs> now, the good news about this is that that's not how God works. He promised in John 14, he's, he's going to prepare us a mansion. Everybody gets a mansion. But I, but I think it's humorous tonight as we think about that concept there, God... I mean, that, that thought, I did the best with what you sent me. Lay not, for, lay not up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust doth corrupt. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moth and rust cannot corrupt. Where to lay up. That was George Mueller's favorite verse if you read his biography. He read that all the time. It was kind of the impetus for a lot of his praying what God would do for him. I say tonight we see, we see the, the fundamental statute. Number two, go back to 2 Kings. I want you to see the, the meat of the word tonight. We see the fundamental statute. Do you notice, secondly, a faithful supporter. Now, the focus in verse 42 is about this man from Baal, Shalisha. We don't know his name. Only under rare circumstances does God put the spotlight on the name of someone who is a great giver. And typically that person is someone that stands above the crowd because they gave it all. But this man from Baalish Shalisha comes and he brings an offering to Elisha to help the school of the prophets. I want you to see some things about this faithful supporter. Go back to verse 38. Would you notice there was a dearth? It was a dearth. The time this man came was time of economic recession. A dearth occurs when there's no rain. There's no rain for extended periods of time. I'm talking over a year's time. God was judging Israel because of its idolatry and disobedience. Every single king of Israel was an idolatrous king that was wicked. Thank God there was a lineage of the men of Judah. The majority of the kings of Judah lived for God. A few of them were not right. But every king in Israel was an idol worshiper. And preceding this was Ahab and Ahab's sons, which were idol worshipers. They were terrible, ungodly godly men. They were apostates to, to the nth degree. And because they had done that, they disregarded what God promised in Deuteronomy that he said, if you keep me first, you honor me, you don't have any other gods before me, I will bless your land. You'll have rain that will come down and I'll bless you with crops. Your land will be fertile and I'll bless the promised land. But because they were not doing that, God withheld the rain and the land started to get parched. Crops did not grow. Food was not possible. They started rationing. Food became scarce. Hey, when 
you have a dearth, a dearth is a bad thing. When you have a dearth, you start to ration. When you have a dearth, water supplies are shrinking. When you have a dearth, people start to ration their food. You have a dearth, there's nothing the government can do. There's nothing the government can do to manufacture something to replace that. Your food resources are gone. They were in bad shape. Notice verse 38. It tells us this story there about them. And Elisha came again to Gilgal. Now Gilgal was where the school of the prophets was. Now I want you to think of that as a holy place of God. And the Bible says there was a dearth in the land. This man came and there was a dearth at that time. It was not a time that people thought about giving. It was not a time that people thought about being charitable. People held back. People were cutting back. People didn't have the resources. Farmers were going bankrupt. Land was parched and they didn't know if they'll ever come back again. The rains were withheld and the heavens were shut up. There was a dearth in the land. Hey, maybe tonight I'm talking to some Christian. There's a dearth in your soul. It's been a long time since the rain of heaven came into your soul and you felt the refreshing of God. Maybe I'm talking to some Christian tonight. It's been a long time since you've got a blessing from the word of God. If you've got a dearth in your soul, you better take care of that tonight and get the rain of God on your soul. And in spite of a dearth, God touched a man to come down with a gift and with an offering. You might be at a place where you're out of a job. You've hit a ceiling in your career. You've taken a cutback. Maybe you're a two-household income and one income is no longer there. Maybe you've got children about to enter college and you're they're looking at the staggering cost of college, whether it's Bible college or secular college. And there are no grants. There is no financial aid. You wonder, how are we going to pay that off? Maybe you're a student thinking, man, my, our family, we've done the best we could. I've got, to, I've got to get some student loans and I don't even know how I'm going to pay all these student loans. But maybe you're facing the fact there is a dearth right now. And in the first thought that comes to your mind, we give this cutback mentality. Our cutback mentality is I better give less. I better tighten my belt. I better, I better do less of this and less of that. And the first thing that comes to our mind is we start looking at last year's donor statement and say, well, maybe I need to touch this. Be careful if you touch that. With some, we were with some family last night for a minute. We had a, a family event we had to go to and I was listening to one of my relatives, and he was giving his prediction to somebody else, what's going to happen to the economy next year because it's election year, and he thinks we're going to go back into recession and all those kind of things. Of course, when you hear the word recession, when you've had all these years of prosperity and blessing, we think about the past years when we had recessions, things like that. But I started thinking on the other spectrum. I thought, well, you know, I've, I've, I've been through several recessions. I've been through several economies that, that have been bad during my lifetime. But, you know, I've never seen God's seed begging bread. And I'll be honest with you, sometimes our best growth, our best opportunities for faith is when we have economic failure in our midst. And by the way, let me just tell you today, just because there's economic prosperity, which is all propped up by the Federal Reserve, just because of economic prosperity doesn't mean God's blessings on this country. 
God's blessing is on this country when people are repenting of their sins and they're getting saved and churches are being started and churches are open and churches said he's cutting down their Wednesday nights and Sunday nights. They're saying we're going to have more church and not less church when God's people said it doesn't matter what it costs me. I'm going to church because we're going to have revival time and the evangelist like Dwight Smith is going to come. Listen, Dwight Smith has spent the last several months up in the New England area preaching and putting out a camper home out there and camping himself out there to get revival fires started up in Rhode Island. And listen, churches are starting to go open back up again and souls are starting to get saved in that hardened area because listen, if you look at the history of our country, it all began up in New England. But we're just content with our little thing and we think if we dock our little 20 doors that we think we've gotten God a favor, we haven't begun to touch the hem of the garment, brother and sister in Christ. Don't look at a dearth or shortage of the problem, but realize there's an opportunity for God to do something great. I remember several years ago as we started our building program, Brother Don Chu came up to me and he, and he knows construction very well. By the way, I thank God for Brother Don Chu. Brother Don is very humble and very quiet. And he took me on the side and said, Pastor, he says, I just want to give you a word of encouragement. If there's any way we can start building right now, interest rates are low, this is the best time to do it. I said, I understand, but we don't have the money to start. Isn't it amazing, church? We built, God helped us to build two buildings during increasing construction costs. God supplied the need. I mean, it could have looked really good if we were able to do all that. But you know, if we did all that during a time when everything was going good financially, we wouldn't have given God the glory. Yeah. That's the truth of the matter. We see a dearth, but notice secondly, notice we see the donation. We have this dearth in the land, and listen, God used Elisha to feed the people, and he took care of those preceding verses. A little hiccup in between there, but he fed them. But these, these sons of the prophets are wondering, what about our next meal? And Elisha probably even in his own mind saying, but what about the next meal? And how are we going to take care of all these people? And I'm not sure. The Bible doesn't tell us that, but I believe because he was a man of God. He was on his knees that morning and praised says, God, now you know we, we fed them our last meal. And I don't really know where it's going to come from. I just know this, that God, your ravens never fail. I know one thing, God, that cruise of oil, that handful of meal never fail. I know one thing, God never fails. Amen. You may be down to your cruise of oil and you're a little handful of meal. You're one of your, you're, you've spent up your paycheck and the 15th isn't here. Today's the 10th. You wonder how it's going to go. I'm going to tell you something. The God who gave you that little cruise of oil and the little handful of meal, he never fails. I want to give you hope tonight. We have a God who's more than able to do what we need. This man of Bailish Shalisha comes, listen, he walked 10 to 15 miles with these provisions to bring it to the man of God. The Bible says there came a man, by the way, I like where it says anywhere in the scripture, there came a man. It says that about John the Baptist too, amen? There came a man from Bailish Shalisha of all places. Who would imagine? What about Capernaum? What about Beersheba? 
What about the more prominent town? No, God had some hick town up in the country there. And Bala Shalisa, he brought this farmer down there. And the Bible says that he brought the man of God. He didn't bring it. Listen, he came with the right herd. He brought the man of God, bread of the first fruits, 20 loaves of barley, and full ears of corn and husk syrup. Would you underline the word he brought to the man of God, the first fruits? Now, somewhere in the midst of that, if you read that, that seems to be so antithetical to what everything else was going on because there was a dearth in the land, was there not? Everybody else's land was parched. Everybody else's land wasn't growing anything. There wasn't rain coming down anybody's spot. But of all places, this man, his plot of ground, brought forth bread in plenty. He brought forth 20 loaves of barley. He brought 20 loaves of barley. He brought the full ears of corn. Now, I don't know about you, but I think God put a pin on the sky and rained on that man's land. God reigned on that man's land, and God blessed his provision, and he said, man, everybody else is suffering. Everybody else is not doing good, but God has blessed me, and he says, I better be a good steward of what God has blessed. Let me tell you something. I've watched Christians along the way. I've been saved 47 years. I've watched Christians along the way, and I've watched preachers and pastors and God's work. I've watched in bad times and good times, especially in bad times. It just seems like when times are doing very bad, God puts a pin on the sky on people he knows he could trust with his resources. You say it's not happening to me because you haven't been tithing. You haven't been giving. You haven't put God first. You haven't trusted God according to Matthew 6.33. This man of Baalish, Shalisa comes. And notice the Bible says here he brought first fruits, 20 loaves of barley. Now, what he brought to the loaves was the equivalent of the size of a biscuit. It's like a Chinese bow. It's like a tortilla that's filled. Amen? I'm getting hungry now. Amen. Enough for one meal. Now, we don't know how much this man was blessed with, but, you know, that's equivalent for one man's, for 20 meals, for, one, for 20 days of meals from one man. Barley is very interesting in the Bible. Barley was a staple that the people that day ate. Barley was a common man's everyday food. Barley was a poor man's bread. I think about barley, and tonight I, I, think about, I think about that dream that the Midianite soldier had about a barley loaf that tumbled and rolled through the camp of the Midianites and judges. That barley loaf was a symbol of Gideon's victory over the Midianites. I mean, basically he saw a little biscuit rolling down the hill and it toppled over 100,000 Midianites and destroyed them. And says, he says, I think that's Gideon and his army. I, I think about, I think about the, the, uh, the little lad who had five little barley loaves and, and he went to Jesus and Jesus fed the multitude. I think about one of David's men who defended a barley foot. Everybody else forsook the barley field. Remember, it's poor man's food. It was poor man's sustenance. But this man, he brought 20 loaves of barley. He prepared a biscuit, if you would. He brought it down to the man of God and full ears of corn. Listen, this man came down. He gave of his best. He gave more than just one day's worth. He gave the equivalent of 20 days of meals. He had no strings attached. He didn't ask anything in return. He didn't ask for any favors. He gave because there was a big need. He heard about the need down there in Gilgal. He went down 10 to 15 miles on foot carrying all those supplies. And the Bible says he brought uh, the man of God bread of the first fruit, 20 loaves of barley and full ears of corn and the husk thereof. He gave it. Listen, when it says the husk thereof, he didn't pull it back first to sample and chase it and see if it was good or not. He gave his best. Listen tonight. You, you think about giving. We have opportunities to give in just a couple weeks here. I want to impress upon your heart. Let's give God our best. Let's give God our all. Let's give God what duly belongs to him. Let's honor the Lord with our substance tonight. 
gave to be a blessing. Would you notice the Bible says he brought, and then he went home. Here you go, Lord. No strings attached. He didn't even ask for a receipt for what he gave. Amen. Amen. But God, meticulously recording his word, this man gave 20 loaves of barley bread. If a barley loaf was one man's meal, you might think of it this way. He gave two-thirds of a monthly paycheck to the work of God. gave to be a blessing. I want to ask you some hard questions. We consider this man's donation. No strings attached. Uninhibited. Without reservation. Without any regrets. He gave to the man of God. Now here's my question. Number one, are you a tither? Will you be a tither? Number two, Would you let the work of great grace work in your heart? And all that were possessors of land and houses sold them and brought the price thereof and laid at the apostles' feet. Would you participate in faith promise missions? We're going to have a dynamic missions conference this year, brother and sister in Christ. I've got a missionary I'm going to bring in this summer that has been on the field for many years in South Africa. I met, him, I met him at a married couple's retreat that I preached at several years ago for Brother, Brother Folger. Talk about trials. This man's got a thriving work down there in South, South Africa, God's blessing. We've got a, we've got a man we're, we're vetting right now. He's a, he's a Filipino missionary that is in Laos doing a great work for God. I mean, I can tell you about people. We've got, we've got two veteran missionaries that God is blessing, one in South Korea that you've yet to meet. He's a good friend of mine I want you to meet. We have another one down in Sri Lanka. God has just opened doors, and he's, we already support. I mean, I'm just saying we've got, we've got some, some, some men of God that are coming. They're going to help us immensely in our missions conference. Are you in faith promise missions? That's 2 Corinthians 8 and 9. That's Philippians chapter 4. Would you give and participate in the giving by faith offering, especially when we're going to take up in May for the reduction of our debt? We're not done with these buildings yet. We've got to get the buildings paid off. But we see the donation. Would you notice a doubter? Elisha receives this offering. He's thankful. Elisha turns to Gehazi in verse 42, and he said, give. Give unto the people that they may eat. They had done with their last meal a day or two before. They ate, from a pot, they ate the pottage that, that had to be cured and made right. And he gives to the servitor by the name of Gehazi. He says, give unto the people that they may eat. A very simple command. He says, now God has given to us. And he says, okay, what you've got here is the equivalent of uh, 20 meals for one man. He says, give. And, you know, the, 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 the servitor looks at this. Notice verse 43. And he says, what? Shall I set this before 100 men? He said, wait a minute. Preacher? We got a hundred prophets here. We have a hundred hungry Bible college students. How many understand today? Bible college students are always hungry, amen? 
It's so bad in Bible college, if you put your food in a refrigerator somewhere, it will not be there the next day. They steal in Bible college, amen? I'm convinced it's not the students, it's the supervisors that are started stealing, amen? Because no one's going to report a supervisor, amen? Man, you leave your food out in Bible college, forget it, it's gone. Yeah, Brother AJ knows that, amen, you know? <laughs> this man said, what? We've got 100 hungry Bible college students, prophets here you want us to feed, and you're telling me to give them 20 biscuits, 20 chasu bows? Are you kidding me? He says, no. He says, set this before them. We've got one ear per man, one ear of corn per man, and one biscuit per man. Hey, listen, they're hungry. They haven't eaten for a couple days, preacher. He says, what? Shall we set them before hundred men? Hey, listen, where there was a spirit of euphoria that had just kicked in, and um, this man from Baalish Shalish had given, and this gift was given, and he started creating doubt, and instead of waves of rejoicing, there were waves of doubt that were in the camp there. You expect me to feed 100 people? What are we going to do with this? And it's so easy to kill a giving spirit in a church. A doubtful heart and a doubtful spirit. Gehazi was a man that was not a man of faith. He was being vetted. He was being trained by Elisha. He was demonstrating an extension of the same lack of faith he had earlier when the widow woman, the, the, excuse me, the widow woman, but the, the woman of Shunam, the Shunammite woman, when her son died. Remember that? And Elisha said, here's my staff. Take the staff and put it on his face and, and put it on his face. He didn't tell me to be huge, just put it on his face. He wanted to see what the man was going to do. And he put it on his face. He waited, waited a few minutes and he did it one time and nothing happened. And he said, nothing happened. He went back and he says, give me the staff. I'll take care of it. Listen, just because the staff worked for Elisha, that man thought, well, maybe it'll work for me, but that's not how it works. God wanted to see if this man had enough faith. Let me tell you something. Somebody else's faith is not going to work for you. You've got to exercise your own faith. And this man was there. He had a doubtful spirit, doubtful heart. He wouldn't give anything there. And I want to tell you tonight, a doubtful spirit in a church is a slap in the face of God. A doubtful spirit says, God cannot furnish a table in the waters. I want to tell you tonight, he can't furnish that table. A doubtful spirit is poison and can kill a spirit of enthusiasm. A doubtful spirit is why Israel walked in circles for 40 years because they had a doubtful spirit. They said, we are not able. They're giants in the land. We see this doubter, but you notice a directive. Now, I appreciate Elisha's spirit because he didn't have time to argue with a fool. Amen? Answer not a fool according to his folly there. Would you notice verse 43? He said again. When God tells us once, God help our soul, he has to tell us again. Amen? He said again. He said again. I say to you tonight, again, give. He said again, give, 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 give until you laugh, give until God breaks you, give until you realize it's more blessed to give than it is to receive, 
Give and it shall be given you. Give, he said there. We need to give. The director was to keep on giving. Let's stop making this complicated and give. He said again, give. He said, I told you once to give, but tell you again, give. Listen, when you become a member of local New Testament church, it's all about giving. He said again, give. God's going to tell us to keep on giving. The moment we stop giving, that's the moment we start going backwards. Give. Give. Let's stop making this complicated. Let's step out in obedience and give. Let's accept our responsibility and give. Listen, freely you've received, freely give. The servitor stood in the way of the gift of God and the blessing of heaven. He said in verse 43, he said again, give the people that he may eat. Then he added something to that. For thus saith the Lord. Now, he didn't have to tell him this, but he, he needed to because he saw the doubtfulness of his heart. For thus saith the Lord, they shall eat. Now, what he's saying there is, there's more than enough food for these guys. They shall eat and shall leave thereof. He says, they're going to eat and they're going to have more than enough. That's what he said. They're going to eat. In other words, we're, we're getting a prelude to the feeding of the multitudes. Amen. That's exactly what this story is about. It's just a prelude to what the feeding of the multitudes. They shall eat and leave thereof. And so this man is given a directive. And you know, God doesn't have to give us an explanation. We just need to obey God. Amen? And so as we close tonight, would you notice verse 44? Would you notice the favorable surplus? Gehazi wasn't too happy, but he did what he was told to do. By the way, when, when God tells us to do something, let's do it with a joyous heart. Amen? To have a joy of the Lord in it. So verse 44 says, so he said it before them. He didn't know how it was going to happen. He had a hundred hungry prophets. And he said it before them. And the Bible says they did eat. Twenty biscuits fed a hundred men. They, they ate till they were full. They ate more on this meal than they did the previous one. Because we don't see God multiplying the pot. I mean, I think they rationed the pot to get enough to everybody there as we read, as we read the previous verse, verses 38 to 40. But they didn't ration anything here. He said, he said, they shall eat and they shall leave thereof. And they started eating. And you might say this is a precursor to the miracle of the loaves because this is the first miracle of loaves. God's taking those biscuits and he's multiplying it. And the Bible says here, so he said it before them and they did eat and they laughed thereof according to the word of the Lord. Notice as God was working there, there was a favorable surplus God gave. Hey, listen, you can never outgive God like Brother Danny said tonight. We see, first of all, a validated promise. For thus saith the Lord, do you believe God's word? Can you trust God's word? Amen. Yeah, you can. A validated promise, they did eat and left thereof. Here's the promise, verse 43. They shall eat and shall leave thereof. Look what happened here. He says, they ate and they left thereof. According to the word of the Lord, there's a validated promise. God said it, that settled it. I'll tell you what wakes you up in the morning. Look for a promise from God and say, Lord, I'm going to claim that today. And then we see a valuable principle. Let's go back to verse 42 and we're done. Baal Shalisha. If you look it up, it means thrice great Lord. Thrice means three times. 
You read the passage, you study some of those who study this passage, some students of Scripture say three times implies multiplication. Now, you don't have to be an expert to figure it out. Multiplication is better than addition. Amen? Amen? Let me understand that tonight. Say amen. Nod your hand. Multiplication is better than addition, okay? Right? Baal means Lord. Baal or Shalisha could say the Lord who multiplies. God took care of his people. God blessed the offering. He poured them out a blessing. Proverbs eleven twenty four says, There that scattereth and yet increaseth. And there is that withholdeth more than is meat. Man, we've seen this word withhold three times. Tendeth to poverty. You hold back on God. That could be a bad financial decision. That might be the reason why you're not promoted, not growing. Luke 6, 38, give. There it is again. Give and it shall be given unto you. Good measure, pressed down and shaken together. Running over shall men give in your bosom. For the same measure that you meet with, it shall be measured to you again. Charles Spurgeon loved the orphans of, of, of London. He read his biography stories about, George, about, about Charles Spurgeon. He just loved orphans. He had orphanages. And every Sunday night, he would take a special offering. He had Sunday night service. And every Sunday night, he would take a special offering for those orphans. Offerings were not coming in as well as they could have from his church. And so he started preaching out and... And his purpose of preaching out was not for himself. His purpose of preaching out was raising money for these orphanages. And he purposed his heart to go down to Bristol, England. Bristol is right on the seacoast. He went to Bristol, England, and there he went and preached in a number of churches that would have him. And he, his goal was to raise uh, as much money as he could. And to the glory of God, he raised 300 pounds of money for those orphanages he had in London. And 300 pounds back in that time was a humongous amount of money. Man, George, you know, Charles Spurgeon was so happy about all that, he went back to his room and he, he took all that money he had, he put it on his bed, and he started praying to God. He says, God, thank you for helping to raise us. Thank you for touching the hearts of people. And as he was praying, we were talking about praying over your offering. As he was praying, God touched his heart because there in Bristol, England, that was also the city where George Mueller lived, and George Mueller had his, his orphanages as well. He wasn't trying to intrude on George Mueller's turf or get into his market share per se. It's just God led him there because he knew some preachers and he knew they would be receptive to giving to the, to the special needs of the orphans. And all night long, Charles Spurgeon was resting his heart because God put on his heart while he was praying, I want you to give those 300 pounds to George Mueller. And Charles Spurgeon started arguing with God. He said, God, you understand, I came all the way down here. I paid out of my own pocket to come down here to raise the money for our orphanages there in London for the Spurgeon's Tabernacle. He says, Lord, we need that money. I mean, we need it tomorrow, Lord, in our orphanage. I've got to feed those children. I've got to take care of all these. How's this going to all happen? And he prayed through the night, and there in the wee hours of the night, maybe somewhere around the fourth, about the, 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 five, the fourth watch of the night, God spoke to him, and he let go, and he says, okay, God, I'm going to trust you. God never lies. Before the sun broke, he went to George Mueller's little cottage. He was about to knock on the door, and he heard a voice. He slowly opened the door, and George Mueller was on his knees praying and asking God to bless him as he did every single day. You ought to read the diary of George Mueller. If you want your faith increased, you need to read about George Mueller. 
And George Mueller was on his knees praying and begging God to take care of the needs because he had to depend on God day by day to take care of the needs. And Charles Spurgeon went and put his hand on his shoulder, and George Mueller stopped. He looked up. He says, he says Charles, what are you doing here? The sun hasn't even come up. What are you doing here? He said, George, stand up. He says, I came here and raised some money for orphanages and Last night I was praying, I was just thanking God for the offering. God touched my heart, and he says, God told me I need to give the 300 pounds I raised to you. George Mueller, he put his hands out, and he, 300 pounds was put in his hands, and he looked, and he started weeping, crying. He says, he says, Charles, you don't understand. He says, that's the exact amount I was praying for God to raise up for me. We need 300 pounds right now. Both preachers started crying and weeping and embracing each other. They had a word of prayer together. He says, listen, you take care of that. Charles Spurgeon went back and went back home to London and he just didn't have a fear in his heart about what was going to go on. He said, Lord, I know you wanted me to do the right thing and God, just the very fact that you validated what you, what you wanted me to do, that he needed 300 pounds and you took care of that. He got, to his, he got back to his church and went back to his office way in the back of the church and there was an envelope on his desk. Somebody put an envelope there he opened it up and had 300 pounds plus an additional 300 shillings. God gave him equal to what he gave plus interest on that money. Amen. Give, and he said again, give. We are most like God when we give. Will you give? Will you give? Tonight, would you give your life? Would you give your best? Would you start being a tither? Would you trust God? Would you have a spirit like the man from Baalish Shalisha? Would you claim tonight that we have a God? It's the Lord who multiplies, who takes care of all of our need. Tonight, give your heart to Jesus. If you're not saved, give your heart to the Lord. And realize we have a God who loves you very much. The starting point for you is to accept Jesus Christ as your personal Savior so that your sins can be forgiven. A man came this morning. He was a guest from one of our, one of our single adult working ladies. sat here on the left side. He listened very intently through the preaching of God's Word this morning. Thank God Brother Dave went up to him afterwards and started talking to him. The man was very open. He's kind of a man whose heart God had opened. Brother Dave was watching from a distance. Brother Dave would explain the gospel to him. And I'd walked off. I was taking care of some things. I went back to my office for a few minutes and heard a knock at the outside door. And Brother Dave was there. He said, Pastor, are you there? And I, I said, yeah, I'm around here. And he says, hey, I want you to meet somebody. He said, this is D. D just trusted Jesus Christ as his Savior. Amen. I asked him, now, did you, did you call on the Lord to save you? He said, I did. I said, what did you ask God to do for you? He says, I asked God to take away my sins. I told the story this morning, but yesterday I went to see Blenda's father, Mr. Mock. You have to know this man. He's a hard, crusty old man. I've witnessed him many times before. He's a tough man. When I led his brother Chuck to Christ, his brother Chuck was bedridden with a tumor. He couldn't talk anymore. When he saw me coming, he walked out of the room. I gave a funeral for a relative of theirs a year or two ago. Maybe it was last year, a year or two ago for there. He came, he saw me, he sat there, listened to the God. He's heard me preach the gospel many times. But that's what happens to all of us. Our health changes, and he wasn't doing very good these last few days. He didn't know I was going to come. My wife and I came from another visit, led a man to Christ there, and we're just thankful we were able to get the gospel to him.
Went over there to see Mr. Mock, and, you know, his, his front is all barred up. It's gated. You can't get in. Thank God he had a nurse that was there, and she opened the garage and let us come in, and she said, Mr. Mr. Mock is waiting for you. I said, you like me to take my shoes off? She said, oh, no, keep your shoes on. He's sitting there in the corner in his bedroom there. He was eating some lunch, and he saw me. He said, hey, Alan. Hey, Mr. Mock, how are you doing? We chit-chatted. They pulled up a chair. I sat there. My wife and I were sitting there. We chit-chatted for a little bit. The nurse was sitting there. I didn't know what she was going to do. And then finally, I just was praying she'd get out of the room. Amen, you know? Because I was going to tell my wife to take her downstairs and give her the gospel too. Amen? Which my wife did later on before we left. We chit-chatted for a little bit. And I said, Mr. Mock, I think you know why I'm here. I'm, I'm going to cut to the chase. You know why I'm here. I said, I want you to tell you something. So you and I go back over 30 years, sir. I've known you for a long time. So you've had a hard life. You're a tough guy. But see, remember your brother Chuck? You walked out the room, but I led your brother Chuck to Christ. He got saved that day. And then on top of that, his wife Florence, who's always had a stone face, Florence got saved right after that. I said, we've known your family. My, my, my wife taught your nieces and nephews piano when they are just little kids. They were just little toddlers. We've known your family for a long time. I said, your daughter, Blenda, loves you very, very much. And she's prayed for yourself. And I, listen, I was laboring before God the last 48 hours for your salvation. Before I even called and asked them, should I visit your dad? They called me and said, is there any way you can see him? I said, they said, I know you're busy. I said, I will see him. I will fit it in. I had him read the plan of salvation. Let me tell you something. You witness have people read the scriptures to you. I had him read the plan of salvation with me. I said, do you understand that? Yes. I said, do you see any reason today why you shouldn't get saved? He said, no, you made it very clear. I said, would you like to get saved right now? He said, yes, sir. And listen, when you're dealing with an old crusty sinner, I start naming the sins pretty tough. I, I let him pray saying things like, I, I'm a sinner. I'm a terrible sinner. And I said, did you get saved today? He said, I sure did. I got Jesus in my heart. And I said, well, I want you to do me a favor. You call, call your daughter and let her know. Well, my, my wife was filming all that. You know, she was filming in the background. And, and she sent a text to Blender real quick. Say, hey, your dad just got saved. I got a video of him praying. <laughs> just, I said, you ought to call your daughter. His phone's going off. It's in his hands. Phone's going off. It's Blenda calling. I said, your daughter's calling. Why don't you take the call? He turns the phone. She says, she says, Dad, how are you doing? I said, tell Blenda what you did. Okay. Well, the pastor's here, and I prayed, and I did what he told me to do. Amen. You know? <laughs> You know, his spirit changed the last 24 hours. I, I've checked on him with, with Melinda. She said, man, dad's, dad's an incredibly good spirit. I said, that's because he got his sins taken away. Amen? God's going to do something in this church. Don't withhold your family from getting saved. It's time to get saved now. I'm here. I'm here. Let's get it done. Let's get it done. I'll just tell you this, I'm done. I, yesterday morning I was praying over these names and things, and I've got a long list of people I'm praying for and need to get saved. 
I don't know how to explain this to you, but I knew in 20 minutes, those two men I went to see yesterday, I knew they were going to get saved. I don't know how to explain this to you. I just knew they were going to get saved. I had never really fully explained the gospel to either one of them. In fact, the first one, the first one, we led his wife to Christ, and he listened before, and he just went in and out of the room. It was actually kind of, just kind of being very rude. He didn't mean to be, but he was very rude. He listened to the gospel, but yesterday, with a broken heart, he called on Jesus to save him. They're everywhere. They need to get saved. I urge you today, if you're not saved, give your heart to the Lord. I urge you today, Christian, obey the Lord. Love God. Give, and he said again, give. Father, tonight we thank you for your word and 